0: You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Muscoota, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. So this morning, I confess to you uh, that we're walking through more hard stuff. More hard stuff, right? And I'll put it on the table up front that this hard stuff has been hard stuff that's so hard over the course of church history, that the church splits up over it, new denominations are formed over it, people debate it, people argue over it, and and all of that to say that I'm not gonna stand up here and settle and solve all of that uh, in in a single sermon, right? What I'm gonna try to do this morning is what I'm called to do every week and present what the text says. And we're gonna trust in the Holy Spirit to help us navigate what the text is saying here, And you might find that I'm heavy on Scripture this morning. I ought to be heavy on Scripture every morning. But I want to allow the Scriptures to speak here, to speak for me, to speak through me, and to speak to you. And let's see what the Lord has to say to us. See, our Gospel writer John, he opened his account, if you remember, if you've been with us, all the way back in chapter 1 with a declaration that the Christ, that the light came into the world, that while the world was made through him, the world did not know him, that he came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but that to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, right? So, we, we are opened in this gospel account with this declaration that the light was rejected, that the light was rejected by his very own. He opens with that, and here, as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, we are coming to the end. We are at the dead end of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. This is it. After this, he's going to retreat, and all the rest of his time will be spent with the 12 and then the 11, and then his passion week will come. And he will die and he will rise again, and we're going to walk through all of that. But this is it, as far as the public ministry goes. And so John had written in chapter one that this was coming, that the rejection of Christ. Well, he led with it. And here at the end of his public ministry, what we see is John including for us the reason an explanation for the rejection of the Christ. Why did his own people reject him? Why did his own people reject not receive him. And this is a tension that needs to be answered. I mean, let's read it. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. It says, and though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And we've gone left to right from chapter one all the way through this. So we've read the signs. We know the signs. We saw him restore sight to the blind. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. We saw him multiply the fish and the loaves. We saw the signs, so many signs, although he did so many signs. John writes, still they did not believe in him, and he endeavors to answer why. Why? And before we jump into it, I know that if you're anything like me, that as you're reading these signs of the Savior, as we go left to right through this gospel account, that there's a part of you that's like, if I was there, if I saw it, I would have believed. Or you look at the Israelites wandering in the desert, you're like, you show me a pillar of cloud and fire, I'm going to believe. But there's an arrogance in it, right, that says that there's something about them that isn't true about you, that somehow you would have been given enough evidence, able to find your way, climb your way, ascend your way into saving faith in God, in the Christ. And I want to tear that down this morning as one to say that we are not different in and of ourselves from the Israelites in all of these accounts. We're not. There is something that makes you different. I'm going to close with it instead of stealing from the wrapping point. They saw all the signs. He did his whole public ministry, and still, they did not believe him. It creates a tension. We we want to answer like, why? Was it was there something deficient in Jesus? Did he not do enough? Was he well intended but he just, he didn't he didn't do enough he didn't go far enough he didn't show himself in the right ways at the right time to the right people was he not who we said he was? I mean these are his people. If anyone should have believed it should have been them, right? Was it failure? Was it a plan? What was it? This is how he answers. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What John is quoting here is Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm going to flip there in a minute. But I kind of want to put you guys in the room back in Luke chapter 2. I'll I'll flip there for a second and just read it over you. You guys know the story. If if your family does like the Christmas readings every year where you kind of read about the birth of Christ, in Luke chapter 2, we read the part of that story where we meet the man Simeon. Anybody remember Simeon? Simeon was shown in the spirit that he would not die, that he would not see death until his eyes beheld the Messiah, that until his eyes beheld Christ. And in Isaiah chapter 2, down in verse 30 or 28 or so, this is what it says. It says that Simeon takes the child Into his arms. So Mary brings Jesus into Jerusalem, and Simeon, led by the Spirit, is brought to the Christ in baby form. And he takes him into his arms and he blesses God. And he says in verse 29 Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Israel. Amazing prayer. And his father and his mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about Jesus. In verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So at the birth of Jesus, the one carried in the spirit, Simeon, who was told, you will behold him with your own eyes, he declares in a blessing over Mary. And he he says, listen, this, this, this child, it is through him that many will fall and many will rise. He will be a sword even to your own soul. We know that Mary would come to faith, that his own mother would come to faith in him as her Savior, as the Messiah, and that he would be rejected. He would be rejected. From the beginning, this was understood. So, we see it at his birth. We see it at the beginning of the gospel account of John, and here at the end of his public ministry, seeking to give answer. He has the whole counsel of Scripture to choose from. Now, he's being led in the Spirit, and so this is God selecting Isaiah 53, to give closure and answer to this. But I ask you, what would you choose? If I asked you, using Scripture alone, help me understand why was Jesus' public ministry among His people met with such rejection and failure? Point me to the chapter and verse. Help me make sense of it. Do you end up in Isaiah? God ends up in Isaiah through John. He gives us Isaiah 53. I'm going to flip to it. Let me read it to you. Who has believed what was heard from us, Isaiah writes, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. I have been described as many things in my life, and I would not ever want to be described as one who sprung forth like a root from dry ground. We're talking about frailty, small in stature, weak, meek. He had no beauty that we should desire him, ugly. Jesus was probably ugly. No beauty that we should desire him, frail like a root sprung forth from dry ground, just Number one, why was he rejected? Well, at the end of, the, of our passage this morning, we're going to see that there are these people who prefer the glory that comes from men than the glory that comes from God. When you look upon a man like the one described in Isaiah chapter 53, you're talking about a man who is devoid of all of the glory of man that you might be looking for. They wanted a man. Big, strong, conqueror, king. King. prospering something to look at something to be like this is my guy this is my champion this is my king a Goliath type I, I, I want my Messiah to behold all the glory of man to be the best of us the best that we have to offer but they got Jesus Jesus Small, ugly. It even feels weird up here to say that. I don't even like it. can't call Jesus ugly. Isaiah called him ugly, you know. (laughs) He didn't come wielding any of the things that we ask men to wield before we'll bow to them. He offered us none of that, and Isaiah prophesied that they would not believe on account of beholding him with their eyes, that he'd be none of the things that they were looking for. He was despised and rejected. Surely he's borne our griefs, this is verse 4 of the same chapter, and he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, that's how we thought of him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed verse 7, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and by judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man, and his death to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Why did the Christ experience such rejection and failure in his public ministry among his very people? Our author in John says, on account that Isaiah 53 would be fulfilled, because this, because it was written that it would be so, it must be so, it was the will of the Lord to crush him by the hands of his very people. This was the will of the Lord. What? Back to our passage. Therefore, verse 39, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So now our author has gone from Isaiah 53 and flipped backwards several chapters all the way into Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. And if you remember the story of Isaiah, there's this scene, we we also generally know this, where Isaiah is given a vision of the throne of God and he sees the seraphim all around him. He sees sees his robe just filling the room and he's just caught with awe and he says, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. I'm not worthy. I have seen the Lord. I have seen my king. And one of the seraphim takes a, a coal from the altar and he, with some tongs and he puts it upon his lips and he singes his lips and he says that, that your sin has been atoned for and that you have been made righteous and upon this the Lord says who shall we send to the people and he says well send me send me and God says to him well then go and say this to the people hear the message keep on hearing but do not understand Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And then I said, Isaiah said back to him, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Had enough? No, not enough. Verse 13, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. I want you to hold on to that last sentence. The holy seed is its stump. Raise your hand if you're a note taker while I'm preaching. Okay, for your sake, because of time, I want you to write it down. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 6, and I want you to study them this week. Wrestle with what I'm saying to you, okay? The holy seed is its stump. The Lord commissioned Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He beholds Jesus, is what we're going to read in John in a second, that it was Jesus that he saw. Go as my prophet and declare to my people don't see, don't hear, stay blind, harden, harden, harden. How long, O Lord? till there's nothing left but the Holy Seed. Till there's nothing left but the Holy Seed. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about the Holy Seed. Thank God. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, his being Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. Jesus. The text shows me four words that I think answer everything that I might want to say here. What is it about you having not been there? Not, you're not of his chosen people, Israel. Gentiles from Mascuda and Scott Air Force Base. You weren't there. All you've got is the word of the Lord. That upon hearing only, reading only, that you would bow your knees and worship to the king. But his people who were there, who saw it with their own eyes, would reject him. Why did they reject him? So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. Therefore, they could not believe. For, again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes and turn. When you see so that, therefore, for and lest in these passages, you're talking about a God who is sovereign over the hard hearts of his people. And when The Lord God encounters a heart of stone like you had before you were given eyes to see and ears to hear. He does, according to the scriptures, one of two things. He takes a stone and he hardens it. Or he takes a stone and he removes it and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. To wrestle with this, I'm going to ask for Paul's help. We're going to flip to Romans 9. I warned you up front that we'd spend a lot of time in the scriptures this morning. Romans 9 verse 14. I'm going to ask you guys to take your time and read chapters 9, 10, and 11 as your time at home will allow it. Romans 9 verse 14, speaking about this sovereign nature of God over the hardness of a person's heart, Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, quote, those who were not my people, he's talking about you, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved, And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. This is the stump. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. As Isaiah predicted, quote, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what we read here is that leaving the stump, the holy seed, in other words, sparing a one when none are worthy, is the very mercy of God. We don't charge Him over those who remain in their hardness. We worship Him that anyone would be spared, that He would not leave His remnant like Sodom and Gomorrah and utterly eliminate them from the face of the earth like the great flood, but that with patient and enduring, steadfast love, that he would search the earth and apply the blood of Christ to a remnant that he would give to the Son as a gift to magnify his glory. What shall we say then, continuing our passage, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written quote, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is the stumbling block. They staggered in their stupor away from him because of the hardness of their hearts. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Skipping ahead to chapter 10, verse 18. You're going to read the whole chapter at home. But I ask, Paul writes, have they not heard, speaking still of Israel? Indeed, they have all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So you are the ones who are not a nation. You are the ones who are the foolish nation. You are the ones that were found by the one that, while not seeking him, the ones who he presented himself to when you didn't ask for him. You are the Gentiles. You are the ones that he came for after experiencing the rejection of his chosen people, the Israelites. Listen, guys, let's come full circle on this. Jesus was rejected by his people and upon experiencing rejection, cast his care and his grace out to the peoples of the earth, gathering a remnant from every corner, every tribe, tongue, and nation, to include you. For what purpose? Let's let Paul finish his thought. We're in chapter 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people, meaning Israel? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? He said, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, Down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And so I ask, Did they stumble in order that they might fall? Again, Christ is the stumbling block for his people. And they stumbled. But why did they stumble? In order that they might fall? No, by no means. Rather, that through their trespass, salvation would come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, for you, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, But if some of the branches were broken off, and they were, and you, although a wild olive shoot, you were nothing, you were nobody, you were the foolish nation, you weren't seeking after God. If you, the wild root, was grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you." So you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. I promise that's all I've got to read today. You see, when we read these hard words from John, what we are seeing is a God who is utterly in control. Why did he fail? fail? Well, because if they would have received him, he would have failed in carrying out the prophecies of God. He didn't come to be lauded by men. He came to save the earth. He came for you. He came for me. He came for the nations. He came for the remnant. He came to gather a people to himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And is this to exclude Israel? By no means. It is through your salvation that one day the remnant of Israel would be saved. To conclude our text in John, verse 42, chapter 12, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I don't know exactly how I want to preach this this morning, to tell you the truth. Everyone I respect is split on the matter. Are we talking about people who had sincere saving faith and then were cowards in expressing it? Or are we talking about people who believed but not with a saving faith? I mean, Satan believes that Jesus is who he says he is, so belief can mean a number of things. But what I know, and I guess what I would give to you guys, is that in John 5, just flipping back one sentence, I said I was done, I'm not done, I guess. John 5, one sentence, verse 41. These are from Jesus's mouth. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So when I hear that there were these people who Kind of quietly believed what was going on but that they wouldn't confess it and it, that he tells us that the reason is because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from god i think we're talking about people who did not possess saving faith we're talking about people of whom jesus said how can you believe you love the glory of man more than the glory that comes from god and that's what they just used to describe these guys so i don't know but either They were believers stumbling in obedience and disobedience or they were people who were not regenerate, neither of which is super important for the purpose of my sermon this morning and that it's the nevertheless in verse 42 that leads me to make my big takeaway concluding point this morning because otherwise I think I'm just sending you home with a bag of bricks. On your back. And it's this when it seems like evil has won, when it seems like the hardness of the hearts of man have outdone and outpowered the grace and pursuit of God, when it seems like evil has won, it's just begun. The Lord has just begun. He has turned the evil of man for good. He has used the rejection of his people. He has used the hands of his people to crucify the Son, to see him dead upon a cross with your sin upon his shoulders, to ransom a remnant from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Your salvation came through the evil, wicked hands of the persecutors of Jesus from among his very own people. So look at the people around you. Who is too far gone? The very people of God, Israel, crucified him with their own hands. And I'm not just talking about a reckoning on the final day when we'll see Israel redeemed. I'm talking about Paul the Apostle, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, who studied all his life in the synagogue, who is actively believing he's honoring God as he drags men, women, and children out of their homes and into prison as he oversees the slaughter of Christians, meets Jesus, and converts and comes to faith. He must be part of the Holy Seed. I'm talking about a a remnant from Israel that is gathered just after Jesus is crucified. That Peter is proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem. And and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And it says they're pierced to the heart. They say, what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And thousands were added to the church that day from among the people of God, the tribe of Israel. He kept their hearts hard that they would follow through with the plan. Crucify him. It was the will of God to crush him for our transgressions. But upon his crushing, we saw hearts of stone replaced with hearts of flesh and a great number from those who did the do were saved and are still being saved and will still be saved. And likewise, it opened up the gospel to you. So I have just one takeaway for you as far as what do I do with that besides go read a whole bunch of the Bible, (laughs) is look upon those who today seem fixed in the hardness of their hearts and look at a God who is a hardener of hearts and one who in a moment can replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That's Ezekiel 36. It's what he did for you. And it's the gospel that is the power of salvation for those who will believe. If you weren't too far gone, if Paul wasn't too far gone, if those who crucified Jesus were not too far gone, then any heart of stone can be replaced with a heart of flesh if the Father wills it. And you've been given the charge of declaring the gospel to the ends of the earth, that we might see the remnant emerge, that holy seeds sprout, Two weeks ago, I preached a message for you guys where Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if he dies, he bears much fruit. This is the holy seed. This is the stump of Israel. This is the remnant from among the Gentiles. You are the fruit circling back around. All the hardness, all the evil, all the suck. The Lord factored it in. He worked it in. He wrote it in. He's using it to achieve His good purpose to ransom a people for the Christ. So take heart. Let's pray.